would consider me a member of the NI community, no intelligence community. <laughs> well, that's good to be before you again, continuing our study of premillennialism. And last week we looked at just some of the main ideas of premillennialism and the things that it teaches. And tonight we're going to look at a couple of areas. Uh, a little bit of it might be a review, it's dealing with the rapture. I know we talked about it uh, a little bit last week. But we're going to look at the rapture and the tribulation. And, of course, next week we'll continue the study, too. There's, there's no way I can cover all, well, I can't even cover all the material in, you know, an eight-week span when you're dealing with such a, a very confusing and deep subject uh, and a belief that the majority of the world has adopted. Uh, but we do the best we can with what we have. <laughs> As we looked at the fact last week of the rapture, and, and of course one of the main verses that the premillennialists go to when dealing with the rapture is First Thessalonians 4.17. And, of course, their idea is that the rapture will be a quiet, secretive type thing. And that only those who are uh, raptured will know what's going on. Uh, everybody else that, are left, that is uh, left behind will not uh, realize what is going on. They'll wonder where their loved ones are, their friends are. And just be in total confusement about what's going on. They'll be left in the dark. But is that really what the Bible teaches? We find in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 the fact that Paul says uh, those that are left alive, we which are alive. And he's dealing with a situation where many of the brethren there were fearful uh, for their loved ones that had already passed on. And, and Paul is addressing that. And in verse 16, we, we see Paul telling us that the Lord will descend. But notice it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of, an ar of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, the little phrase there, caught up, that is the definition that you will find if you happen to look up the word rapture. Uh, and while I'm on it, there, the rapture doesn't necessarily or always pertain to this doctrine. I think if you go back years ago, uh, rapture meant joyous. A happy time. I think a couple of our songs have that, but it, in that sense, our songs are not talking about the rapture of premillennialism. It's talking about a joyous. It's been a long time since I looked at that definition, so it's a little bit sketchy for me. Uh, but the rapture is something that they teach and believe, and and I know they're sincere. I know that they honestly believe it. Uh, they'd bet the farm on it. Unfortunately, it is not true. And many people have been deceived because it sounds so good when it's taught to them that they really don't have 
an idea of questioning it from a truth standpoint. They may question some things to get a better understanding of what is being taught at that time, but most people uh, will follow along with it. When you study the different denominations or religious groups in the world, you look at their beliefs, and most of them believe uh, in the thousand-year reign and the rapture and so on and so forth. Because it is a very uh, deep study, and most people just never get to that point in their lives where they're looking at it and trying to decide whether it's really uh, correct according to the Scriptures because uh, there are things when you read the Scriptures, the way that it is worded makes it seem like, well, that's got to be it. That's got to be true. But we know that we have to look underneath the surface sometimes uh, at the true meaning of the context rather than just looking at the surface. Uh, and that is a problem uh, that many of them have. They never get to that point. But one of the main reasons that the church really knows so little about the rapture and the tribulation is because the Bible doesn't really teach it. And we don't spend a lot of our time dealing with this uh, subject for the most part. Now, if it was a subject that was taught in the Scriptures then we would spend more time on it. Unfortunately, we do have to spend a lot of our time teaching people and defending the truth. In other words, explaining really what the truth is compared to what false doctrine is. And uh, if you've done very much evangelism or talking with people, you will find that you do spend a lot of your time trying to explain what the truth is compared to the error in the world. Uh... I was reading an article today uh, about Brother T.B. Larimore. And in that article it said that he didn't spend a lot of time necessarily going into explaining somebody else's doctrine. He just stuck with the Scriptures. And I thought, that, you know, that, that's one good way to do it. Unfortunately, we find in our world today that we, we have to do a lot of teaching in a lot of uh, areas because people have already been convinced of those false doctrines. And we have to wade through that. And we, we can teach them the truth, but then they bring up their doctrine. So really, you do have to deal with it. And one of the, the saddest things is that the majority of the people believe the uh, teachings of premillennialism. And if we have the opportunity to help somebody come out of that, then we need to take advantage of it. Um, and along the lines of teaching people and help, helping them come out of uh, error, uh, too often when we have the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons come to us and want to teach our doctrine, we, we're too ready to just say, no, I don't. you have the wrong doctrine, see you later, have a good day. When really it's an opportunity for us to try to teach them the truth rather than just shutting the door in their face and say, well, I don't believe what you teach, Therefore, I'm not interested. And I do believe that one reason for that is the fact that we, as God's people, don't have the knowledge that we ought to have in the Scriptures to sit down and say, okay, let's open the Bible and really see what you teach as compared to what's in the Scriptures. Uh, so, you know, we need to be able to take opportunities to teach people and to bring them out of not only the, a premillennial belief, but any of the other beliefs 
that uh, they may have that are contrary to the Scriptures. When we look at the rapture, it is the beginning of the end in premillennialism. In other words, the rapture is going to be the first thing that happens. And I, I said last week that uh, as I'm teaching over Green's Lake that I'm trying to, to bring it down in a, in a uh, to me, a logical order of, of events. Although when you study their doctrine, you can get kind of confused about the order of events. But the first thing that's going to happen, according to them, is there's going to be a rapture to where all the righteous people are going to be taken up off the earth by Christ in a secret rapture, a secret carrying away. And then, seven years later, and during that period, that's also the beginning of the tribulation, give or take a few little events going on there, and then a seven-year period of tribulation. And if we go to Matthew, the 24th chapter, and verse uh, 29, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn over there. Matthew 24 is a, is a difficult chapter understand, to understand because it's dealing with uh, the things that are leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and also the second coming of Christ. Uh, but if we look at, uh, the tribulation is, is mentioned twice in the first part of, of this uh, chapter. And actually, uh, verse 36 is a transition verse that goes from talking about the destruction of Jerusalem into the second coming. Uh, but in uh, verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And then in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So we find the tribulation mentioned twice in here, but they misapply those scriptures, um, thinking that this is the end of the world, that Christ is talking about the seven-year period. And it goes back to dealing with the uh, 70 weeks of Daniel. There's a lot of misunderstanding and misapplication of Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. So, the idea of a tribulation period is not taught as they teach it. Uh, but if you begin reading in, in the first verse of Matthew and you continue on through, you'll see some things that tell us that the tribulation period that they teach is not what is taught here. Uh, for instance, we'll just begin in, in verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation such as was never since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, question. If this is talking about the end of the world, is it going to do any good to flee to the mountains? Not going to do a bit of good. Because after all, it's the end of the world. Tribulation period. 
Every, everything changes. But as Matthew records what Jesus says here, and by inspiration, the fact that these things are for those Christians at that time, that would be, we know that Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, the church hasn't been established yet, so he's speaking a little bit into the future, that these things, uh, at that time, those Christians would need to be ready at the moment to be able to get out of the city. And he talks about the Sabbath day. What was the deal about the Sabbath day? What was in, uh, somebody with a little bit of you know, history and all about what would be going on on the Sabbath day with the Jews at that time? Wouldn't there be a lot of Jews in the city? Yeah. Yeah. And the more people you have anyway, it's hard to move around, so you would be delayed. What's the abomination of desolation? Turn over to Luke 21. And look at verse 20. Jesus says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know the, that the desolation thereof is nigh. So what's the picture here? It's the Roman army surrounding the city. So when they see that, that's a sign, right? There were signs for the destruction of Jerusalem, but there were no signs for the second coming, and are no signs for the second coming. Now, wouldn't you look at what Jesus says as back in Matthew 24 being signs? All right, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, what do you need to do? You need to go. Why, would, why does he say for the, you know, the person that's out where he says housetop, not come down to take anything out of his house? What would be the implication there? You don't have time. In other words, when it happens, you go. Uh, what's one of the, and I, you know, I've never had a house burn, but I understand that uh, when it happens, people want to run back in to the house to get certain things, and they're always advised against that. You don't have time to go back in there. Or if you're in the house and the fire starts, you don't have time to start gathering up your stuff to get out. You need to get out then. And it's the same thing here. He was talking about immediacy. He was talking about when this happens, when you see the Roman armies, you head to the hills. Uh, and as he says here, for women who are, have children at that time, uh, how difficult would that be? How difficult would that trick, uh, trip be if it's in the winter time? So we see that he is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here, not the seven-year tribulation that... Uh, the premillennialist uh, teach. And as we uh, look at this idea of a tribulation, as I mentioned before, uh, you, when you go back to Daniel 9, well, we, understand, we know Daniel 2 talks about the establishment of the church, the Lord's kingdom. But then in, in Daniel 9, uh, I want to say 27, and then you got 1131, and I think chapter 12, all those, when you, you see what Daniel's talking about in the 70 weeks, that last week, and each week is a seven-year period. So you've got 70 weeks and you've got seven years. So you've got 490 years from the time that the order was given to rebuild the city. 
rebuild the walls. And then it gets down to the last week, which is the last seven years, and it talks about the, obla- the sacrifice and the oblation would be uh, in the middle of that last week. So three and a half years. Okay. What is the idea of the ceasing of the sacrifices and the oblation halfway or in the middle of that week? Okay, I'll have to cover some ground here. I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but the the beginning of that last week is the beginning of the ministry of Christ. How long did Christ go through His ministry? About three and a half years. Okay, so the ceasing of the sacrifice and all is the, the ceasing of the old law. Where did that take place? At the cross. Okay, so they tie all of that in and they say, uh, the first half of the tribulation, first three and a half years, some of them say that it's not going to be that bad. Things kind of carry on as they are. Remember, the rapture was a secret thing and everybody's still left that's not righteous. And then the last three and a half years is going to be something that's going to be even worse. So, And they, they look at Matthew 21 as that time. Uh, I wanted to read a couple of the things that uh, their writings that... Hopefully it won't uh, get you too confused. But a lot of this has to do with the Jews. Everything focusing on the Jews mainly. And uh, which, in other words, says God is going going back and having Israel as His chosen people once again. And having the old law reestablished. And I always thought that was strange since we're told uh, in Hebrews how that the, you know, the gospel or the law of Christ is much better than the old law. And the fact that you really couldn't come completely uh, clean through the law of Moses, there was no salvation per se in the law of Moses uh, itself, but it was under the law of Christ. Well, that's how mixed up they get. Uh, so, uh, the character of the tribulation... Uh, and I, don't, I didn't list the source on this, but because I've got so much stuff. I got. It says, while the tribulation period shall last for about seven years, as to its severity, it will be divided into two parts of three and a half years each. The second or last part, so far exceeding in its severity for the uh, severity of the first part, as to be known as the great tribulation. What was to happen during Daniel's 70th week was not revealed to Daniel. He received a communication which he did not understand and was told to seal the book up until the time of the end. Daniel 12, 4, 12, 8, and 12, 9. All Daniel knew was that the contents of the book had reference to the time of trouble that should befall his people at the time of the end and not the end of time. But, of course, that time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, that's really dealing with Israel back then, not anywhere in the future, especially today. Uh, not the end of time. What that sealed book contained is no longer a mystery, for the Apostle John saw the seals of that book broken and was told to record what it contained. Now, I know Preston did a thing on the book of Revelation a few years back, and they go to the book of Revelation and they just... You know, it's like open season on however you want it to read. Uh, but the seven-sealed book of the book of Revelation is a book that Daniel was told to seal up. If we want to know then about what is to happen during the tribulation, all we have to do is read and study the book of Revelation from Revelation 6, 1 to 19, 2. 
uh, as the dragon is cast out of the heavenlies in chapter 12 and he is cast out in the middle of the week. That's that middle of the last week. It follows at chapter 6 to 11, inclusive, uh, inclusive cover to the first half of the week and chapters 13 to 19, inclusive of the second half. Uh, and of course, premillennialists love to have charts and all, uh, but when I printed this out, it wouldn't print the chart, but it, their charts are so hard to read anyway. Uh, so, uh, this particular person is dealing with all the seals, and I'm not going to read that. But I want to read something. This is very interesting. Uh, if somebody will, while I'm reading this, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, uh, I want to look at verses uh, 20 through 22. Uh, they start out by saying, in order to understand about the end times prophecies concerning the last seven years from 2011 until 2018, or better known as the tribulation period, we must understand what is written in the book of Daniel concerning the 70 times 7 weeks prophecies. That's seven, 70 weeks of Daniel. To begin, we must know that we are the last generation. It began on May 15, 1948. What happened in 1948? Pardon? Israel was uh, recognized as, I want to say nation. Is that the correct word I'm looking for? Politically, I guess. They were recognized politically. Uh, when is, uh, what he says here is on the 14th day when Israel was born again. Even before it, there was only destruction and desolation, but God has a purpose, and that purpose is the covenant and promises of God. This is why even the tribulations of the Jews during World War II, it also has led to the final purpose, to destroy the wicked and melt away the darkness, to redeem His people. Now, those are the Jews. They're not talking about Jew and Gentile. Redeem His people to fulfill the perfection and righteousness of God. To that end, the word of God shall be fulfilled, for this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Now, if we go back to Matthew 24, and uh, I'll get to Deuteronomy there in a minute. Uh, Look at verse 34 in Matthew 24. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, which generation is he talking about? those people there at that time, that those things, the destruction of Jerusalem, that generation would not pass away. Those people would see the destruction of Jerusalem. He is not talking about a generation 2,000 years down the road. And that's what they would have you to believe. And that's what uh, this gentleman is saying. Uh, when Jesus Christ the Lord was speaking concerning this generation, He was speaking of those who was born and living at the time of Israel's birth unto the end. For a single birth is one generation for a person. Likewise, for a nation of Israel's births, it is one generation unto the people. For we who are living now, who is born uh, in the time when Israel was born on May 14th, 1948, some say the 15th, will have witness, uh, we will have witnessed many signs, saw many miracles, and even the fulfillment of prophecies written in the psalm concerning the birth of Israel. Notice in here, he says, we will have seen many miracles. So, as we go on down, 
uh, to begin as concerning this tribulation summary, we begin with the year 2010. Now, this article was written in 2008. He says, we begin with the year 2010. In this year, in 2010, a war will take place between Israel and the Arab nations, and you will witness three horns that shall be broken by the Antichrist, and his small horn will rise up in its place. The Antichrist shall war with the three kings to subdue it and save Israel from destruction. For this purpose, many Jews and many people will be deceived, thinking that he is the Messiah because he brought peace. And all of this shall be fulfilled as it is written in the book of Daniel concerning the 70 weeks and seven prophecies. Therefore, we who are living in this last generation will endure unto the end, shall witness all these things to come. Now, who has Deuteronomy? Brian, would you read those three verses? Does this fit into that category? He prophesied in 2008 that in 2012 this war will take place. What war is he talking about? What he reads in Revelation is what it is. It's a misunderstanding of the book of Revelation. How See how they apply it to today? So we know that it didn't come true. How long has Israel been at war? I don't even remember. So that would, if that's the case, then there had to be a new war that started in 2012. I don't know of a new war that started in 2012 with Israel. But you see how they will take these prophecies in Revelation which deal with the church mainly back in those days in the dealing with the persecution of the church by Rome and, and at times, different times, by Jews. Who was the uh, book of Revelation written to? The church. But how do they apply it to the whole world? Uh, As I said last week, Jerry Falwell, before his death, was involved in a campaign to get all the uh, Jews out of Russia to send them back to uh, Israel, collecting money to do that. Because that's what they believe. It ties into this right here. So, uh, the fact is that he prophesied this. And you have men like Hal Lindsey who was doing this back in the 80s who are still out doing it today. And they fall into that category. Speaking where God has not spoken. So, uh, but as he goes on to say... uh, Therefore, because of this war in 2010, the Pope, see, they've got to bring Rome into it, they've got to bring the Pope into it. The Pope shall make a peace covenant between Israel and the surrounding nations, uh, surrounding Arab nations in 2011 for seven years. Anybody remember that happening? Did the Pope make any kind of alliance with these Arab nations? I don't recall that. 
course, I know I did quit listening to talk radio and watching the TV shows, but got so frustrated. They point out the truth and all, but they don't do it. Nothing gets done. So I just got tired of watching the same old stuff over and over and becoming more uh, depressed at the fact nobody's doing anything. He goes on to say, Since the beginning in times past, there has never been any covenant of peace between Israel and the Arab nations. Since the beginning, it has always been war between Israel and the Arabs. And because of the war, when this pope endorses uh, or endorses peace covenant for seven years and is accepted because of this war, many will be deceived thinking he is a god or the Messiah. This covenant which shall be made for seven years from 2011 to 2018. In the midst of the seven years, the treaty shall be broken and the abomination that caused desolation will take place. Now, when did that take place? Remember Luke twenty twenty one, Brother Dave? Well, they miss it on a lot of points. Uh, as we've just seen here, the idea of the Pope making a, an alliance with the Arab nations. And, and the thing is, what is the Pope? Is he Jewish? So how does he figure into this? <laughs> you know, He's going to be the, the one who makes peace for uh, Israel, the Jewish nation. We understand how people want to call on the Pope to be the peacemaker for the world. But uh, I don't recall that happening. Yeah, well, I hadn't heard that he's over there, but I, I know his position as peacemaker and how people look to him as a peacemaker, but none of this has happened. And the sad thing is, the person who wrote this, he's going to say, oh, I miscalculated this, or I miscalculated that. This is the way it's really going to happen. And, and that's their, their backup all the time. But, uh, but as he says here, that this seven-year period was to take place between 2011 and 2018. We never heard any of these things taking place. And he says... Uh, in the midst of the seven years, the treaty shall be broken and the abomination that causes desolation will take place. That has already taken place. That was destruction of Jerusalem. It's not something that is coming up at the end of the world or in this man's time frame of 2011-2018. According to this, it would be... Well, he started in 2011, so three and a half years, 2014... Well, we're getting halfway. We're getting right at the point, right? 
because he says in the midst of the seven years, this treaty will be broken. So evidently, according to my figuring, we're right at that point of a treaty that never was made. So, <laughs> uh, We shall witness the word of God being fulfilled written in Daniel. It is from that time onwards uh, how we must choose if we die like the rest or endure unto the end. We must from this point onward believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's... Uh, that reminded me of Deuteronomy and how these people will uh, get everything all mixed up. And, and you can see, uh, and I've got stuff up here talking about the seals, all these seals that are to be opened in, in the book of Revelation. And they will confuse you too. So, uh, but the tribulation period is non-existent. It is a figment of man's imagination. And we've got a couple of minutes left. I want to, I want to read this. The tr- Yes, sir. I would say so. I don't, I don't know if Jews teach it. Well, just to make a short answer. Well, they they no, they do figure the Jews being part of it, but it's not the main part of it. Uh, let me let me read this. It might answer that the the tribu, tribulation is focused on the Jews and Israel, so it may be the answer here. Turning to the Old Testament, we find in Jeremiah thirty, verses four through six, that it is the time of Jacob's trouble, and is compared in sufferings to the birth pangs of a woman. In Ezekiel 26, it is spoken of as the time when Israel shall pass under the rod. And in Ezekiel 22, we read how that God is going to cast Israel into his melting pot, where there are to be refined as gold is refined. Uh, Daniel speaks of it as a time of trouble for his people, the Jews. From these references, we see that the Great Tribulation is something that has to do with the Jewish people, and is a judgment through which they must pass as a refining process to fit them to, again, be God's chosen people. Indirectly, the Gentiles will be affected by it, but the church will be caught up, or the church will be caught out before that great and terrible day of the Lord. The prophet Daniel, in his vision of the 70 weeks, was told that it would be 69 weeks from the going forth of the edict to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah of the Prince. Those were prophetic weeks in which each week stood for seven years, and they were literally fulfilled for as it was exactly uh, 483 years of the 360 days from the going forth of that edict, B.C. 445, until Jesus rode in triumph into Jerusalem. A.D. 30 was hailed as the promised son of David, and Jesus was held as the promised son of David. Within a week, the Jews had Jesus crucified, and then God's clock stopped. And the remaining one week, the 70th week, has still to be fulfilled. In the meantime, in the break between the 69th and the 70th week, the Holy Spirit is gathering out the church, and when it is complete, it will be taken away, and then God's clock will begin to tick again, because He will again be dealing with His people. 
it is during the last, this last or 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks that the tribulation is to occur, and as the weeks of the already fulfilled 69 weeks were each seven years in length, so this last or 70th week must be the same. The length then of the tribulation period should be seven years, but Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, for that the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened, not the elect of the church, for they are caught up out uh, caught up out before the tribulation, but the elect of Israel, the 144,000 sealed ones. So now they're bringing 144,000. It gets very confusing, but their idea there, I guess, is the church is the Gentiles, and they're going to be raptured out. Tom. Yeah, it gets, it's not an easy doctrine to follow. Steve? Yeah, yeah. Well, they did that with uh, uh, President Obama's, I think it's his, his policies and John McCain's policies where they were at variance, but they switched them around. <laughs> and, and the people, uh, you know, thought they were agreeing for Obama's policies when they were actually McCain's policies. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's, it's a sad state. So we'll continue this next week. Who has closing prayer?